Hello and welcome back to another season of the Art First Commerce podcast. This week is with cinematographer Adam Newport Barra. Um, it is great to be back. Uh, like I mentioned in that uh, quick update post I did a, a little while ago, that um, you know there's going to be ebbs and flows to um, to when we can uh, be putting on the show. We're obviously going to try and, and bunch them to make seasons of sorts. Uh, last last go, we were able to do 14 in a row before we uh, hit a block, and so uh, we're back. And um, we're only going to come back when we're able to, you know, definitely put out a, a consistent amount before uh, potentially needing to take a break again. So excited to be back. Um, being able to take a minute to kind of re- reflect on everything, uh, take take a deep breath, um, you know, re resurvey the landscape for uh, who we want to be talking to and how we want to be talking to them. I think is always going to be pretty beneficial and um, really stoked to kick this one off with uh, an alumni of the uh, of the pod, Adam Newport Barra. He was on two years ago, and it's kind of it's a, it's amazing that. Um, you know, where he was then to where he is now, because this past year uh, has been uh, an unbelievable year for him. Um, he was the uh, cinematographer for Sundance Darling, uh, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. And he also shot the penultimate and finale episodes of Euphoria on HBO. So, you know, he's having a hell of a year and it's it's great to, um, much like the uh, Elliot pod and the Ryan pod that uh, that we had recently, where uh, since it's the second episode, we're not we don't have to spend a lot of time talking about you know his whole story because you can listen to that episode if you want that. So we were able to dive right in, and you know, Last Black Man in San Francisco for me, I I think it's my favorite movie of the year. Um, I think it's you know we we talked about it together that it's really hard to find unique. Um, small, interesting stories with characters that nobody knows and, you know, not part of some sort of greater universe or a biopic or, um, you know, based on a true story. So with that in mind, you know, there's not a lot of movies that come out every year that that have that type of um, unique storytelling, unique vision that uh, that do really well and get a lot of notoriety. So, you know, this is... Um, one of those and it's 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 great that we can kind of chat about it all i think adam you know i don't know having the conversations with him he's a filmmaker first and foremost he's a storyteller first and foremost um which for some some dps that i talk to and i enjoy the conversations a lot of time we'll still the conversation will will be more on the technical side and that's fine you know i find that super interesting love to pick their brains about it but with with Adam, it's great to have these conversations because just his, you could just tell that his approach is way more holistic, um, kind of like the, the, the director's DP uh, in, in that way, which is something that I think I, I resonate with personally. And um, it makes for these types of conversations that we can go that much farther into just like the, the mentality of things, the conceptualization of things. Um, so I, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Adam's um, Super, super thoughtful about how to, how he described all the decisions that he was making along the way. And so I feel like um, to be able to talk with him after he's having just like a monster year with work that is um, really beautiful and some of my favorite out there. It's, it's super cool. So uh, thanks to Adam for sitting down and also wanted to mention, so we are sponsored by Masters in Motion. And in addition to that, uh, the Masters in Motion uh, film um, film conference, which happens every December in Austin, Texas, it's coming up again. We currently have a um, a discount going right now with uh, AVC Pod. We'll get you a hundred dollars off at checkout. Uh, that's going to go on for a couple more weeks. Um, right now, I think full is nine hundred, so this brings it down to eight hundred. But we have a uh, um, a special giveaway happening. If you go to uh, either AVC Pods. Uh, Instagram or Masters in Motion's Instagram. You can learn more about it, but we're giving away some free tickets. So check out our Instagram posts, follow the uh, the rules there, and then you will be uh, submitted to potentially win some free tickets. Uh, so that's that's awesome. So yeah, thanks for being back. Looking forward to another another run of great interviews, and we're kicking it off with an with an uh, an awesome one in Adam Newport Barra. It's cool, dude. Uh, well, I mean, it's been a lot of time since. Well, it's been about like two years since the last time we spoke. Yeah, and I feel I know. like, you know. Thanks for hitting me up. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, it was like I feel like you're having quite the quite the year with uh, two two projects that I'm a, a really big fan of, in both you know Last Black Man and yeah. and uh, Euphoria. Yeah, it's been good. I'm super grateful. It's been a good year for sure. It's it's interesting that like I because I, I listened back to the episode that we did and just 
the projects that you were referencing and kind of like the level at which your previous work had been at at that point. And it just feels like there's some sort of, I mean, at least from an outsider's perspective, it feels like a career shift. And I'm wondering if it feels that way for you too, or, or if that's really more just an, like an objective outsider view of things, but it feels a bit more like natural for you since you're living it. Yeah, no, I mean, I think for me, it's hard to say because I feel like my vision for what I want to be doing is constantly evolving. You know, I think we all have an idea of where we want to be and what we want to be doing. But at the end of the day, there are so many factors outside of ourselves that come into our life that just sort of help us inform what's going on. So for me, I've always been very open to different projects and I had an idea of the kind of projects I was interested in, but the world is much bigger than me. And there's so many influences that I'm excited about that it just I'm kind of just kind of taking it as it comes. And, you know, also as a someone who's still kind of getting their feet in a lot of ways, I think I'm taking the opportunities that are given to me, you know, and, you know, something like Last Black Man in San Francisco was, I think you're right, in a lot of ways different than a lot of the work I had done in the past. But I think what was consistent is that just working with a director and other creative people that uh, are care about the story as much as I do and are like dedicated to like a vision for the entire filmmaking process. Yeah. It's kind of what I realized that the, the, you know, the content is less important than almost the approach and how much people dive into the work. Yeah. So like, I guess in that, in that vein, it's kind of the similar progression of just choosing. I mean, I, one of the highlights for me, I think of the last talk was just how much over everything else. I think you highlighted the fact that you just cared about the type of people you're working with. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that, in terms of like same mindset, um, want to kind of have the same that have the same goals. It's not really only maybe choosing work because either the topic is cool or the experience might be cool, but that you just kept hammering about that. And I could see that being mm-hmm. basically the same. So in that way, it seems like what you're saying is that it's really the same progression. The the, the projects have maybe scaled, but in that way, it's yeah, the same. No, totally. I think. I think the projects that I've had the most positive experiences from are with directors and producers that are just can't imagine them doing, can't imagine doing anything but what they're doing. You know, I think it's really interesting, especially coming up after these projects and getting introduced to other projects. You know, the industry is works on different levels, you know, and there's a lot of people out there working that, get hired for projects, you know, they pitch on a project and they get hired as a director or, you know, showrunner or producer. And it's, it's almost like the commercial game in a lot of ways. Cause I work in commercials a lot and you see, you see this, it's like a, you're pitching for a project. Whereas, you know, a lot of the projects I've been really enjoying are from directors and creators and writers that are birthing something out of their own mind and Mm. can't imagine doing anything else and it's really interesting to see that because i don't think i don't want to belittle people who who do pitch on movies and work on studio films but there's like an obvious uh there's an obvious difference and i think it's really it's really interesting and i think it's also really interesting because right now the the movie landscape has changed a lot and it's really hard to find bigger movies that aren't um, Marvel movies or Marvel inspired <laughs> yeah. movies yeah. or biopics or a remake mm-hmm. or based on a true story. You mm-hmm. know, I think it's, it's becoming more and more rare to find kind of like auteur writer directors who have an idea who have to make their movie and have to tell their story. And, you know, at the end of the day, like I'm, I find my, I, find myself pretty versatile and I like a diverse range of projects, but I always respond to these creators who just want to create something wholly new and unique. You know, I think Joe with last black man is a perfect example of that. You know, I think that movie kind of came out of left field yeah. and that whole conversation of gentrification was like a conversation that needed to be had, but no one was having and he did it in such a beautiful it's incredible you know narrative way yeah i mean i think it might be i rewatched it again i saw it in theaters and i rewatched it again you know prepping for the conversation and it's like i mean it's 
it's one of, if not maybe my favorite movie all year. And a lot of it has to do with the soul of it and the way mm-hmm. that just the interesting ways in which it, um, it takes conversations that people are having constantly, but has it in such a unique way with such a deliberate eye and a deliberate style. And it's not afraid to, it's not worrying about kind of going like throwing it down the middle. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that stuff takes such uh, risk. And yeah, I mean, I think for a lot of us, I would imagine, not to speak for, I don't know, everybody, but it just seems like, yeah, to be in a situation where it is uniquely, a unique story done in a unique way, feels like a, a lessening and lessening amount of stuff that you see, especially at scale, in terms of like totally. distribution and notoriety. Um, yeah. How did Joe, how did the, how did the movie first come into your um, like your your world. Um, I had seen his short film American Paradise that played at Sundance mm-hmm. a couple years before, uh, and I just fell in love with it. And I mm-hmm. thought it was so beautiful and simple, and I just really loved the filmmaking style. And I was talking to my agent Anne Murphy at ICM about him, and she knew about his feature that he was making, and I begged her to get me the script and oh, get wow. me to meet Joe. And it was a it was a long process, but she finally kind of connected us all, me and then Christina O from Plan B. Um, and we all sort of were able to get me and Joe in the same room and chat. And Joe and I had a really good series of conversations. Um, and then that developed into us working together. That's super cool that it was a very proactive, like, business world move it wasn't because you like knew joe from being a kid or something it was very much in the realm of like real industry trying to make it happen no totally i mean it's like it's something i talk about with and my agent a lot is that like you know as much as i have a lot of friends in the in the film industry it's like there are a lot of people out there making good work that i want to work with and i've i've always been the kind of person that just if i want something i know i need to put the work in so Mm -hmm. i'm always down to do it and you know especially at that point and this point in my career i still need to do that and i still want to keep progressing and meeting new people so for me a lot of it is just putting in the work and you know it's it's a weird it's a weird industry to navigate right because you don't you can't go around sending your resume to people. You need to connect on a human level uh-huh. to make sure that people are excited about you as a person and an artist. Yeah. And so I, I think there's this weird feeling of wanting your work to speak for itself and kind of sitting back and waiting for people to call you. Mm. But at the same time, there are so many DPs and so many talented people that really I think what it boils down to is finding the right chemistry and finding the right collaborate, you know, collaborative environment because you know, different energies work better together. And it's just about finding that. And it's, it's tough, it's tough to, it's tough to find that because everyone in the film industry is in, is all over the place. And yeah. We don't really find ourselves in the same room together very often. <laughs> no. How, how did, why do you think it worked with Joe in those early talks? Cause I would imagine if anybody was reading the script, I feel like if the script was anything like the finished result, like the, it's special, um, elements were jumping off the page potentially how are you um how'd you make yourself you think stand out to be chosen to be the dp um i don't know i think it was i think it was a mix of sort of my instincts of where i wanted to go with it Mm. um resonated with joe and i think you know i had a couple reference points that he had as well that we hadn't discussed prior oh that's always great yeah so that always that always is a bonus, and then I think it was just I think he could tell that I really cared about his story mm-hmm. and about the film, and that I would really wanted to bring a lot to it, and then I would put the work in. Mm-hmm. Um, what were those references? Um, a big one was Aki Karasmeki, the Finnish director. He's done a he's been making movies for decades, um, and he's still making movies, and they're really incredible. And what's special about them is he has this very photographic quality to everything he does. Mm. That, like the frames are very composed almost to the point where it feels stilted, but the people are very real and very modest and human and humble. And mm. really, like, there's just this really sweet mix of um, kind of a photographic surrealism and then a very 
humble, intimate humanism that he's kind of a master of. And like every every frame of his of his films like could be hung on a wall. They're mm-hmm. just really thoughtful. Um, but at the end of the day, they're very like simple human stories about relationships and like you know. I think that to me kind of summed up what Joe was trying to do. And I, I, he really responded to that. And it's cool to see like every once in a while. And a few of the screenings, people would come out and ask us if Kairos Mecki was an influence. And it's really cool. To hear oh, that. that's gotta be I great. Mean, yeah. That's um, yeah. I mean, I, I, cause I, I guess there were just some things that really stood out in the sense of in this vein, like certain motifs that I felt you were doing that it, it managed to have really stylized things while still maintaining so much heart. Like the, you're right. Going with like, um, what seemed like maybe at times just broadly lit gold reflection on Mm -hmm. people like in open daylight exteriors. Yeah. That was super fascinating to me. And like, especially because I don't know, especially in the commercial world where everything kind of ebbs and flows on the same lines and all of the work that's considered good kind of looks the same. This felt like it was yeah. cutting against that kind of issue of the times in totally. in ways that maintained to a degree, obviously, you know, beautiful contrast. And like, I mean, the way that you made the beauty in the house with the backlighting was just gorgeous. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you would do that stuff with like the goal reflection. I was like, man, wh- where, where did like that idea come from? And was there a real discussion about well, that type of thing? Yeah, I mean, there wasn't a huge discussion. I mean, at the end of the day, I was hired like two weeks before the shoot started. Oh, no way. So I had like 10 days of prep for this movie, which was insane. Um, Oh, my God. So we had a couple of like more creative, longer conversations earlier on when we were still in the courting process of whether or not I was going to shoot the film. But by the time I was hired, we were just kind of really figuring out a lot of technical details um, and shot listing. So... Aesthetically, we were honestly kind of finding a lot of those motifs throughout our shoot. And I think one thing Joe is very clear about is that he wanted to make sure that we really saw the actors' faces. Um, Mm -hmm. And that we didn't, I mean, I think he was very aware of the fact that like everyone in the movie is black. And, you know, as much as we want this to have a mood and to have a weight to it, like we need to see people's faces because we have all these incredible actors and we want to just really make sure that they shine. And at the same point, you know, we were also talking about this idea, you know, Joe as a filmmaker and a person is very nostalgic, very romantic, kind of trapped in a different era, which I love about him. Mm. And so I think there was this idea that we wanted to approach this film from kind of a romantic, nostalgic, classic way. And I think that, Front lighting is kind of a perfect way to do that. And a lot of times front lighting is really difficult and looks bad now. But I think with these like very handsome, dark skinned actors, they looked really great with really frontal lighting. Um, so it was kind of a mix of wanting to really make sure we saw their faces and also harken back to some kind of more classic style of filmmaking. Yeah. Um, and also what I really liked about it is it felt very photographic. Like you were able to, we're really able to like pop people out of landscapes and yeah, you know, like have this amazing wide shot, but your eye still like zeroes in on the actor very quickly. Um, and it just kind of gave it this other world feeling because I think what's cool about this story is that the two lead characters have a lot of pride and a lot of self-respect and a lot of pride, not only for themselves, but for their city. And so there's this sort of, um, iconic feeling you get from them. And I feel like they needed to be elevated. You know, they couldn't just be another face in the street. They needed to, they needed to pop and they needed to feel like icons in the city. So I think that really helped a lot. Well, what was cool about it for me too, is that, you know, I think when you're going into a, a film and you know, the, the trailers made it look beautiful and epic and, um, heartfelt, but you don't. It doesn't hint at any necessarily any elements of like surreal, surreal, surreality, surreality. I can't say the word. Surreal. It's surreal. Surreal. <laughs> um, that like, and it's interesting when you're in the process of actually watching it, and there are little moments that bend into the surreal. And over time, you're like, wait a minute, this is 
having these things and I wasn't, I didn't know that going in and it's kind of nice because it like unfolds like layers. So like when they're, mm-hmm. the first time that the two of them are waiting for the bus in that like grass patch hill area mm-hmm. and they're getting that gold reflection bounce that's not motivated and it's super interesting and I've never, I remember just looking at being like, what is that? And w- like, it's yeah. beautiful, but I, I notice it. It's not like nuanced, but it's gorgeous, but it, it is also yeah. like, a spotlight almost in a way. And I, and I'm like, this is so fascinating because then it almost like that lets open, um, like an opening into letting yourself do a bunch of things that are surreal. And I mean, off right off the top, that first scene with the hazmat suit and the moving around, like, sure, I guess we might say that that's normal and that could be viewed as like, yeah, that might've happened, but there's a level of it that has this heightened reality to it. And like, I think that the yeah. the choices you were making help like get us in there. Yeah, no, and I think it gives you like, like you said, I think having using those tools early on and gives us sort of artistic license, you know, mm-hmm. to to play around later on in the film. And I think it also helps that in a lot of ways the story is very grounded, you know, and it's about yeah a guy who's trying to get his childhood home back. And I think when you can mix grounded performance and like a grounded story with more elevated uh, with a more elevated approach it gives you know it it just elevates and emphasizes these people that in a lot of ways are like very normal mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. Or like everyday people i think that's i think i think that's a really special combination yeah it it, it wouldn't have like it's not to say that that um look would have worked for any piece of content it it very much gets grounded by the realities of their stories and I think in a way it was also really powerful just the especially because in subtle ways it's hinting at the fact that in these poorer neighborhoods things are harder and Mm -hmm. you know things are more disheveled and people don't have it as good and then like but then you make them glow you know in like golden light yeah, I think that was that. That's a good point. That was super important. You know, we never wanted this. I don't think you know there was never like a specific discussion about this, but it's like we always wanted this movie to be beautiful, like mm. in every moment. You know, even in the like harder, darker moments. You know, I don't think we wanted to portray some like gritty, realistic, you know, movie realistic living poverty or to see poverty or you know you wanted the struggles to be singular to these people you know what i mean and i think that it kind of goes back to this idea of giving them pride and identity and a sense of respect Mm -hmm. and reverence Mm -hmm. which i think is really important Um, yeah and i think even in that opening scene um where you're doing like the phantom flex slow-mo sequence mm -hmm. and it's like there's something beautiful about their part of the bay and then when they go into the city and it's they're just getting stared at um yeah you know that sets a tone right off the bat and i'm i was curious for moments like that is that um level of style like written into the script or was that something that comes about through dialogue with joe um well that specific scene was always always existed in the script and it was super important to joe that was like that whole montage was one of those scenes that was a fight the entire production because it was incredibly inefficient to shoot because we had all these locations where we just needed one shot at the perfect time of day. Mm. And given like a 25 day indie movie schedule, we just didn't really have like the days to fit those in. So um, we really had to pick and choose what we were going to do and how we were going to do it, uh, which was frustrating, but I think it ultimately worked. And then in the edit, I think after the montage was kind of cut together, uh, the idea for the phantom work uh, came about. I think Joe actually saw some footage, some phantom footage shot in San Francisco and fell in love with it. And that became like an inspiration for the montage. So that oh, was shot so the, afterwards. So the phantom stuff was like a pickup. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's interesting mm-hmm. to hear. And then I guess also things yeah. like... Um, <clears throat> The way that the, that opening sequence is a um, with the girl in the hazmat suit and the running towards the um, the preacher, mm-hmm. you know, was mm-hmm. it was that written with that type of of um, 
Warner in mind, or is that something that you're bringing to the interpretation of the script? No, that was um, that was an interpretation for sure. Cool. I can't remember whose idea that was particularly. I think Joe and I kind of found that shot together. Yeah, um, that's just nice that that happens yeah. that way. Yeah, no, it worked out. It worked out beautifully. It's really cool. That location is incredible and doesn't exist anymore, which is pretty wild. What do you mean? Um, what like happened? that street that faces out towards the water. I mean, obviously that street is still there, but you know, that's across from Montgomery's grandfather or grandfather's house, you know, yeah, like yeah. the Danny Glover's house basically. Yeah. And that house still exists, but on either side of it now are like new high rise condos. Oh, and wow. that street that kind of overlooks the water where the sidewalk sort of just drops off into the field is mm-hmm. completely fenced off. They're completely like, um, renovating that whole area. And, it's amazing that we were able to squeeze the shoot in before all that happened. We actually had to kind of, there was a big fence up there and we had to beg the city to pull it down so that we could shoot there. It's kind of a, I mean, it highlights the point of the movie in a nutshell, really. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And it's, it's wild because that, that neighborhood is, you know, a lot of like third, fourth generation San Franciscans that live out there. Sure. And it's also where a lot, a lot of the low income housing for, the city is mm-hmm. and uh, you know a lot of that low-income housing is getting bulldozed and replaced with condos and lo- those people are getting displaced with really no great option um and a lot of people are getting pushed out of the city entirely which is just nuts yeah i mean <clears throat> i would imagine that there must have been a a special feeling on i mean it just, the, the film itself is radiating such a you know warm vibes that I would imagine that that was also happening on set, especially knowing like the, the subject matter and how you're treating it in those mm-hmm. locations where it's actually happening. Yeah, no, it was, it was cool. It was a really challenging shoot, just like any other, you know, one and a half million dollar, 25 day shoot movie is, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it was super stressful, but I think what saved the movie was that we had just this incredible, San Franciscan crew that just felt like a family and mm-hmm. everyone was ready to tell that story, really cared about it, mm. worked their asses off. Um, and really inspired me. It was just, I felt such a duty to everyone on set to do the film justice, you know, and also knowing that it was Jimmy's story who's playing himself and Joe had been developing this movie with Jimmy for years. I just, I knew how much it meant to them and how much it meant to the city. And so it was really, it was really inspiring. And also kind of set this extra level of pressure on me to, yeah, to deliver in a way that not only deliver, but to like bring something special to it. Yeah. I could see that being cared so much. I could see that being a great thing. I wanted to ask what it was like working with the two main actors. Cause I mean, they're so, I mean, they're so good. Um, yeah. And with such, um, really interesting energies. Like I've never seen two characters like that. Even yeah. though no. on paper, you know, there's not they're they're kind of on paper they would seem very straightforward. But what they mm-hmm. their their takes on it were incredible. And do, do you feel like there was anything you were doing in particular when working with actors that are bringing it like that that you change or or have in mind, or is it really you're you're doing everything the same? No, I think I definitely respond to an actor's energy. And that's like, that's super important. Um, Cause I think every actor brings something different and brings a different energy. And you can also tell kind of what they need from the camera in order to do their best work. You know, I think some actors are really experienced and skilled in a way where they can memorize all their marks, do everything they need to do and kind of, be told exactly where they need to be at any one time and still deliver a great performance. Other actors need more freedom hmm. to kind of explore. Um, with Jimmy and Ma, it was definitely two very different entities. Jimmy is definitely less experienced than Ma, um, than Jonathan. I'll just say Jonathan, who's playing Ma. Um, Jonathan is like a very classically trained actor. He Jimmy seems, yeah. has had, had, had acting experience. I don't, I won't speak for exactly what his acting, experience was before this i mean he was in joe's short film and i think he's done some other work but he has a lot of natural talent and he's just very comfortable and like very good on camera but um you know it felt like me joe jimmy 
and Jonathan were constantly kind of figuring out blocking for scenes together mm. and figuring out what worked best for them because it was important that we felt the pair as like one singular item for a lot of the time so that when yeah. we didn't want to break them up, you could really feel them being broken up. So it was, mm. it was really about taking the temperature of every scene and Joe had really specific visions for every scene and how we wanted them to play out. So, you know, they would rehearse a lot. I would see it. We would talk, you know, and sometimes a scene that had originally had really complex coverage needed to be boiled down to something simpler so that Joe and the actors could have more time to just explore a performance. Um, while others scenes we knew really needed to be elevated by the camera. And so Jimmy and Jonathan would kind of understand like, okay, there's a lot of camera storytelling here. So we need to be patient with the technical process. It was cool. It's like they started to, to understand that Joe and I sometimes be like, look guys, we need you to do this exact thing, even though it feels completely unnatural in order to help tell the story. And then there are other times where Jimmy and Jonathan would be like, look, I can't be doing what you guys are asking me. I need to do this in order to mm -hmm. give you the performance that you want. You mm -hmm. know? So it was really about taking the temperature of every scene. And I think that's super important that you go in prepared, knowing what you need out of a scene and having a plan, but at the same time, you're ready to throw it away and do something different with still that same spirit in order to accomplish it. Um, but yeah, I think uh, Jimmy and Jonathan were incredible together and it was, you know, it was oftentimes like hard to see exactly how it was going to turn out while shooting it. And then after seeing the cut, you know, how the, how the scenes flowed together with the transitions, the music, the sound design, you know, you start to see the vision for some of the stuff that Joe had. And it's like, you know, I didn't always see it on set and then I would see it in the cut and like, okay, that yeah. works amazingly well, even though I wasn't sure. It's time. funny. I was going to ask you a question directly about that type of like thing that, cause I've experienced it too, where, you know, you didn't know necessarily how that, that was going to work and that it kind of, you know, especially the music in this is so beautiful that it, it, mm, yeah, it's it, amazing. it, it really taps into the emotionality of like what you're seeing. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm curious to know both, during production and then also you know when you were looking at a cut were there a moment on on set first where i something transpired and you maybe realized that, you know the what you were working with in terms of the special film that it was turning into i mean i think at times yeah i think it was there was a lot that i going into it without a lot of prep there were there were a lot of unknowns for me um and so i definitely feel that way i think there wasn't one specific moment that made me feel that way and i think that there were we took a lot of risks on this film that i didn't know i was not sure would pay off like, like what for example the front lighting was that was like terrifying for me to do as yeah much as it's cool and it worked out like it was when did something you... i've never really done before and it was scary and there were just a lot of like bold decisions in terms of like framing and also the, the zooms. Scenes I wanted to bring that up. Us into edits. Um, so the whole time I kind of was just hoping it would all work out, you know, and I don't think there was never any, for me, there was, you know, and this, this goes for every single project I've ever worked on. It's like, mm. I am very critical of my work and of the things I'm working on. And for me, I'm, it's, I'm, I'm really lost in the details. It's, it's often hard for me to just break out and appreciate it. So I think for me, like I'm always just in the same way. I always keep my nose to the grindstone. I'm never really yeah. like riding off the high too much. You yeah. know, every once in a while you get that one incredible shot that kind of keeps you going. But at the end of the day, like I'm just working constantly trying to make every single thing better than it is, you know, mm -hmm. and, like mm -hmm. always looking at the lighting, always looking at the frame, trying to figure out what can be better. So for me, it's, it's a constant, flow of critique and yeah. uh, being thoughtful about how to execute things. And it's really not, it's very rare that I sit back and I'm like, Oh, this is going to be a cool movie. I'm just like, no, <laughs> like, you know, like that, that to me, that feeling is early on. It's when I'm speaking with the director that makes sense. and saying like, yes, I believe in your vision. Yes. I think we can make something special. Yeah. And the rest of the process <laughs> is me just trying to live up to that. Yeah. No, in the beginning it's all kind of beautifully idealistic and then, you know, breast tax hits and you have to yeah. make the damn thing. Exactly. Um, yeah. And it's a marathon, obviously it's not a sprint. So that all makes sense. It's, cool. it's, it's nice to hear <coughs> just, I don't know the, the humanity and the fact that 
as you were filming really interesting ideas like the broad face lighting and also like the zooms that you were doing, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that's another thing that I would put in the same, on the same category as the um, front lighting of, of things that are classically taught that aren't cinema, you know? Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's no, just yeah, interesting. The, the, the zooms were cool because zooms are, zooms are always like a tough thing to execute well because they like immediately harken back to some like old school style of filmmaking that I feel like if you're not careful can just feel like derivative or, mm-hmm. you know, kind of schlocky. Mm-hmm. And I think that I wanted to use a zoom when I thought that it was the tool to use to further can like to best convey the moment in the movie. And I feel like we did a good job of that. The zooms don't feel definitely uh, like overly indulgent. They feel like, moments where I need to be closer or wider within the same shot. Um, yeah, they're heightening. And that was like the challenge is not to make them feel like overly, uh, overly directed, you know? Yeah. I mean like the, the dead leaf throw from, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, yeah. he's like hardly yeah. catching it. I mean, it's, totally. it's amazing, especially cause it, it also like had layers of their character in, in, within that. Mm-hmm. And like all, mm-hmm. all of it, you know, and it's just nice to know that because I think when you're taking risks at that level, you can't you can't ever really know. Was there a point maybe, you know, two weeks in or something where, that you started to feel more comfortable about those and that you like you got you got over the thought of wondering if it was working like you knew it was working, even though there was still more movie to shoot or did, did, yeah. did, it, did it really not become fully apparent until you saw a cut? No, I mean, it was it happened within like the first two hours of shooting the movie because. Oh, OK. Like, like <laughs> we were shooting the, we shot the first scene in the movie first, which is something I wouldn't normally want to do, but we just had to do it for scheduling reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we front lit Jimmy and Ma and we front lit the preacher in such a strong, bold way Yeah, that looked amazing at the time, but we were like, okay, now we have to commit to this. Like there's no that's kind of great from this approach at this point. So it was, we just sort of had to to trust that it was going to work out. And, you know, I liked that about Joe is that how thought even like this movie was such an ongoing process for him. He spent years trying to make it happen and he had really visualized every scene and had such specific thoughts for everything that at the same time he was able to see something on set spontaneously and be like, that looks good. Let's do that. Mm. That we embraced it and went with it because I think it's hard for a director who's so close to a project and, you know, to, totally. to take those like spontaneous risks on set where you see something and you roll with it. You Can know? you remember an example of that happening? I think that was the, the front lighting was definitely one of them. I'm trying to think of other, other things. I think, well, I think, I think in general though, I think he was really receptive to my ideas. Yeah. Um, and given that I was, I only had 10 days of prep mm-hmm. and that he had been working on this movie for years that mm-hmm. I would, have ideas for scenes, you know, blocking scenes or putting scenes in different locations or even helping him rewrite scenes, you know. Mm. Um, he was really open to my involvement on like a filmmaker level, which I really appreciated. It was like, like that level of trust that he gave me. And I think That's so I, I cool. think I earned it. And I think I showed that I understood his vision and that I cared about it enough to help him develop, develop it further. But yeah. I think that was really special is that he was still – adaptable and spontaneous enough to embrace, yeah. you know, it, it, the it, discoveries you have on set. It's interesting. Cause like the, it really is a nuance between trying like your recommendations, like a DP's recommendations to a director, either coming across as, you know, trying to change the thing or because mm-hmm. you like are, you really believe in it and like, you want to make it as beautiful as possible, trying to find the thing like the, mm. changing it or finding it it's such a subtle nuance, but it's very distinctly different. And like, that's the Mm -hmm. whole crux of when it works or it doesn't. Yeah. And I think it's just, it's developing that trust early on and understanding that our priorities are in the same place and that we're making the same movie Mm -hmm. and that, you know, I'm not just trying to make something pretty that looks good on my resume, but I'm trying to tell a story well. And I think that's, Something, you know, you learn the more movies you make, the more you realize that if this movie isn't good and doesn't resonate, it doesn't matter how good it looks. 
Yeah. A movie has to be a good movie first and foremost. You need to serve the story and you need to serve the the actors because if people aren't relating to it on that level, like it doesn't matter how good your work is. And so for me, it's that constant process of trying to inject as much of my work and mm. my inspiration and mm. my ideas as possible while also understanding that there are so many other things at play and trying to find that sort of orchestration where everything works well together and also understanding when to step back and simplify my approach so that I can give space to the actor and directors to really like dive into a performance. Um, and I think that's like, that's been really fun and exciting for me as to how, how to like shoot something simply and give, give people space to work, but not me, you know, and not let that simplification, uh, drown out my like inspiration you know and i think i think last black man was a perfect example of that we have these scenes that are like very simple and photographic and only consist of a few shots and they're really beautiful but they still really get across the performance and the message of that scene and i think that's like that to me is really fun it's like it's you know it's a puzzle and it's also like this like weird symphony of everyone working together yeah that's the perfect marriage and it's hard it's hard to do um the the crew of, of guys that are always hanging out outside of uh, their dad's house. I thought mm -hmm. that that group was so fascinating. And I think that like a lot of the surrealism comes out um, a lot with those guys because they, it's a fascinating thing where they're somewhat caricatures, but they also have depth and like, mm -hmm. that's quite difficult to do. Yeah. Um, obviously, a lot of that is really happening in the writing and the directing, but certainly the the photographing um, helped that. What, what what kind of conversations were you having with Joe about that group and how you wanted to to capture them? Because I found it super interesting what you were doing with them. Yeah, I mean, I think what it comes down to is like those guys are not just cast actors. A lot of like a lot of them are Joe and Jimmy's either like friends or acquaintances or people they know in the city. They're not just like random actors that were pulled off the street to right. play these roles, you right. know? And I think that's important. And then, you know, there weren't a lot of, what I loved is there weren't a lot of discussions like, okay, these guys are this kind of person. We need to like treat them differently so that they don't fall into a caricature. It's just like their energy on the set. Like we had this, we had this toolkit of how we shot the movie and these guys are often not shot that way. Like, it's like, you know, you see like, dramas of like you know more you know like urban gritty dramas mm -hmm. where like these guys are shot a very different way it's like that's not our movie and like they're still these kind of people are like still allowed to exist within our film and you also realize like these people are just like any other people and they're there's like depth to them that they don't get to show a lot and i think that's like a lot of what this film was is like there's depth to all these these characters that we don't normally get to see from you know i didn't really word that very well but basically we just wanted to treat them we wanted to let them do their thing mm -hmm. and we wanted to shoot them the way we were shooting the movie and i think yeah. like those two and i think that's like what this movie in a nutshell was it was like taking our toolkit to all these people and just letting them live within that world yeah and they inspired us we inspired them and there was never like a specific conversation like, okay, we need to shoot. They're called, we called them the goons. Like we never need, like it's, it was never like we need to shoot the goons this way or that way. It's like, we just wanted to always make sure they felt like an ensemble group mm -hmm. and that as we, you know, in the script, you constantly learn more about them and you understand them a little bit better. You understand why they do what they do, who they, you know, a little bit more about who they are. And I think that happens naturally, but like at the same time, you know, they are funny and we wanted to embrace that. And so the way we shot them is like very deadpan and it allows them to just kind of rip and be themselves, you know? Yeah. It's great that basically what you're saying is that you didn't need the, the act that made it odd in a, in a good way was simply the fact that you had them living within the aesthetics of this type of film in the first place. So it's like, as long as that aesthetic exists and you are like just allowing that, those types of characters to be in, a film that wants to be warm and nostalgic and like loving towards that type of community automatically makes it seem like a very unique way of framing the characters like that. Yeah. And I think it's like, 
and then you find that it's like actually really effortless and natural for them to be in it. Cause like, you, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. there's like this, this obvious like stereotype of like dudes in the hood who are like really hard and talk really big and are super intimidating. But at the like, end of the day, it's just like maybe just not a culture that people are super familiar with. And it's like, these guys are super sweet and like yeah. really caring yeah. and care about all the same shit that anyone else cares about. And it's just that they're portrayed differently in a lot of other films. And so. I mean, the most powerful moment is when, you know, in that, when, when, um, one of them dies and then, you know, he's getting in, in uh, his face and he just then cries instead of hits him. It's like, yeah, that's, that's it in a nutshell right there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also like, it's funny because that scene is also like, I think in a lot of ways, like funny to some people. And I find like as much as sweet as it is, it's also like kind of funny. And I, I don't, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just cause I like came to know those actors and I know that Jordan, the dude who plays that actor is like very funny. Right. And this was like, that was like a very hard, you know, a hard role for him. I think like a, a hard moment for his character mm-hmm. to execute because he's like naturally just like a total jokester. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but cause they were also yeah, like, they know, were like th- three stooges a little bit, yeah, you know, it's totally, like that type totally. of, they're like, they're, they're just, they're really fun and they're really like their roles mm-hmm. are really dynamic. And I think that that was what was interesting to me is that Joe was like, he wasn't interested in the normal stereotypes or archetypes. It's like these guys were all just, they're all just different influences on the story. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and so going into post, like you, you start seeing the cuts and was there a point where not only were you excited of what was being put together, but you started to think that it had like a real future. Like what was that experience like watching it kind of come together and then get, um, selected to Sundance and have that type of success? Um, <laughs> I hate that question because I like hate everything I work on until I see it in the theater <laughs> just because I'm constantly critiquing it. And like every time Joe sent me a cut, you know, I would respond to pages this. of notes of what I thought could be better. And like only out of like the best part of my heart of it wanting to be the best possible thing. Of course, know? of course. Some people, some people are really good at saying, the good in something very quickly. And for me, I'm just constantly critiquing and trying to make things better until like, until I can't touch it anymore. You know what I mean? The second it's done and I can't, it can't be touched anymore. Then I feel like I'm able to let go. But up until that point, I'm just, it's like pure doomsday for me. I'm just like, this is wrong. This needs to be I love better, hearing you know? this. And so it's, it's impossible for me to like see anything positively until it's <laughs> until it's completely like even in the color session you know the color session was just in a lot of ways it was it was fun but it was also just pure misery because i wanted everything to be better and i wanted you know i was wishing things could be done a certain way that we didn't have time to do or you know i wished we had more time in the color correct to make a scene a little bit better and right that's just that's just the nature of how i work and then yeah. once it's all finished and I see how it's responded by people, I'm like able to allow myself in a little bit. Well, I forget, I forget what, who made this quote, but it was something that some famous filmmaker, ah, oh, it's escaping my mind who said it, but he's like, films aren't finished. You just stop working on them. I think it was Fincher. That's it. Said that. yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And I mean, exactly. That's this basically. Um, well then, yeah. but Obviously, there's external validation from getting into Sundance, winning awards at Sundance with the film, um, totally, and, and then getting, you know, theatrical distribution. What? Yeah. What? Um, I don't know. What was that like? How did that feel? Like, what? Where were you? It was really cool. I that? mean, I was, I was really pleasantly surprised by the reception at Sundance, and it was also my first movie at Sundance, which was really cool. Really, I didn't and know was, that. Yeah, I was. It was for me felt like a long time coming cause I had done a lot of indie movies and I was really proud to have it there. Um, and I was super nervous going into the screening cause I hadn't, I don't know, the movie's strange and it's different and it, I think mm. it catches people off guard and I had really had no idea how it was going to be received. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so it was like a very ter- terrifying process for me, but it was really amazing to be in the premiere and to see how people responded to it. And it just felt that was the first time I really like, the movie really just kind of sang to me and it was cool to to have that experience. And I mean, at the end of the day, like 
as much as I love making movies and I love telling stories like for my own sake, like that's not why I make movies. I make movies to like entertain people Mm -hmm. and to tell people a story and to inspire, like, you know, inspire is the wrong word because it makes, you know, it feels kind of pretentious, but like, I want to, I want to get people excited about a story and I want to get them thinking and I want to get them talking. And when I see that happening, that's like, that's when I feel validated. You know what I mean? That's when I like really enjoy the work I'm doing. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, that because you're working on it up until that moment, and that's fine. Totally, you know. Totally. But then once it's totally. out and it gets that type of reception, um, yeah, I'd be I'd be stoked as well. Um, yeah, it was really cool. Yeah. Cool. At what point did you learn that it was going to get a theatrical release? I think it was actually because it was financed through A twenty four. I think it was guaranteed to some degree. Oh, okay. Which was really cool. I didn't and it was the that. first movie. It was the first movie I worked on that had like some guaranteed theatrical release which mm. was get you know put even more pressure on me to do my best work um and yeah so i don't know i think i think there was some sort of deal for like a limited amount of release and then basically i think what they do is see how it's performing and then decide whether to hold it longer or you know yeah. extend to other cities well yeah and a24 seems to have a really good handle on creating a grassroots buzz and letting it grow organically yeah. versus like that yeah, seems to be there the, they're the kings of that right they're now. really great at that yeah no it's cool it's cool to it's cool to have a company like that behind you who champions the filmmakers as much as the film and like understands the craft that went into it you know and i think like you know it's cool to like have a24 like give me recognition for my work because i know how hard i worked you know, and how little I slept to make this movie. Yeah, man, it's fucking and, uh, awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. It's, they're 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 a cool company to work with, and I really like. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate how filmmaker centric they are. It's hard to find that. Yeah, and I I don't think that it it seems like the the results speak make sense. Because um, when we were talking, you know, at the top, just about you know, it's hard to find the writer director auteur small interesting unique ideas like that's a twenty four's calling card. Um, yeah, that kind of makes it makes sense when you put it that way. Like, of course, that's how they would be interacting with their with their filmmakers. Yeah. Did that relationship yeah. then? Is that what led to being able to work on Euphoria? You know, what? I'm not totally sure exactly how that worked out. I think that was again, again, there was some connection through my agent. Also, um, I knew some of the people working on it beforehand. But I think uh, I think having Last Blackman under my belt really helped me. Yeah, with that job that makes sense. But um, you know, within the industry, there's always a million different energies working to make something happen. Mm-hmm. So it's it's, it's <laughs> difficult to say exactly the one thing that clenched it. And also, there's a certain level of just needing to hire someone that happens as well. <laughs> so no, well, happens. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm curious to, to like I think it's such an interesting um, discussion between something so you know, unique and one-off and indie, and then your work in, um, you know, an eight-part season where you're only doing two of the episodes and you're doing, like, the penultimate and the finale, so obviously the look and stuff is set. And I'm, I've am i had a few conversations with um, TV show DPs, like uh, Adrian Correa from Glow and Stuart Biddlecombe, mm-hmm. who did um, Handmaid's Tale, and just talking about, mm-hmm. like, well, how do you bring yourself to a project where a lot of the, you know, obviously the look is set already and a lot of it to a degree is you fulfilling the needs that the show has versus bringing something unique. But I know that, you know, your personality and and that type of thing must imbue in certain ways. And I'm very curious how that ends up working. Yeah, I know. I think this was a very unique experience. I mean, I've never done TV before. um, So the whole process was on a technical level was kind of new to me. Um, but I met with Sam Levinson, who's directing my episodes, who wrote the show, executive produced it and directed a lot of the other episodes, who was really just kind of the, the overseeing creative force in the entire show. And Sam's a really cool guy because he has such a strong vision for how he wants to do things. And he's stubborn and really creative, but at the same time, he's very receptive Mm -hmm. and, when I met with him, we talked about the style of the show and he seemed very, he didn't seem concerned about 
talking about how the show should be done or how it's been done, you know, and he showed me, he showed me some episodes and his first question was, what would you do differently? You know what I mean? Mm. And I think that was, that to me was like, was reassuring. Yeah. It's really wanted to, he's constantly critiquing, just like me, he's constantly critiquing things, thinking of how he can make something better, how he can make it bigger, more extra. That's kind of what that show was all about. Sure. You know, it's it's about a bunch of teenagers. It's not like these aren't stories that haven't been told before. And mm-hmm. what was really important was that they were told in a unique, big way that really elevated the teenage experience in the way that we feel as teenagers. You know, when you're a teenager going through any sort of problem, it is life or death. You know, the stakes are as high as they could possibly be. And yeah. I could relate to that, you know. Yeah. Things that we now look back on and we say, like, oh, that really wasn't a big deal. When you're a teenager, that's all that matters I think that's, to me, that was never said outright by Sam, but that's the vibe I got, is that we needed to elevate everything to be the most monumental moment of a person's life at any one given time. And I think that's what was cool about it, is that it's, like, very big and bold. And, you know, while there was a look set, Sam made it very clear that he wanted me to bring my own inspiration to it. You know, Mm. there's a toolkit of, like, you know, these are the kind of, camera moves we do this is the kind of pace our camera moves have this is kind of the lighting world we live in you know he was we were constantly tweaking that and changing it and sam didn't really seem to have a lot of um didn't feel the need to have a lot of loyalty to previous previous episodes he just wanted to make every episode as immersive and bold and strong and um exciting as possible and like so that really gave me a lot of artistic license to change things up, do things a little bit differently, um, take something that's already been done and interpret it my own way. And I think like, that's what was kind of most exciting about it. Yeah. Do you have any, does any examples come to mind of those types of uh, changes or evolutions? Um, well, one thing was that we did was we shot a lot of film on our episodes and they had been shooting film um, in yeah. previous episodes, but it was mostly 35 and, uh, we were looking at the 35 dailies for some of the stuff we shot and we were realizing that it looked too similar to our Alexa 65 footage. So we were just like, why don't we just shoot the stuff on 16? The detective and stuff in episode seven? Like the detective stuff, for example. So was good. Like, that was some of my favorite stuff to it's shoot. It's so good. <laughs> so funny. And I did an amazing job. You know, we were kind of following this rule of like whenever Rue is in a manic state, we would shoot 16, but then we would see 16 footage and we'd love it so much that we'd be like, why don't we just shoot the other scene on 16? Like, why? I don't know. It looks good. You know, there was a certain level of mm. um, kind of like spontaneity and unhinged, you know, <laughs> creative decision making that yeah. I really responded to. And this was another situation where I came on really late to the point where I really didn't have any time at all to prep this. I mean, mm. I basically got some conversations with Sam and but he was really busy editing the show and directing other episodes that I was kind of sitting in an office by myself for a lot of my prep time. Um, so I had a lot of time to come up with ideas, but I didn't have a lot of time to like come up with concrete plans. So we didn't, we actually didn't have a shot list for the entire, uh, duration of our two episodes. So we would just show up to set every day and no kind of create our really? shot list as we were shooting. And that's kind of also just Sam's style. That's how he likes to work. He has this very like natural sort of, Holy you know, shit. spontaneous way of doing things, which to me, at, at first it was absolutely terrifying. But at the end of the day, I realized that I was coming into a situation that I needed to just embrace and make yeah. the best of. Sure, and sure. it was a challenge for me, but honestly, it was really, it was really fun. I mean, it was like, it was like the big budget version of what I imagined showing up to set on like a, like a 1970s Dennis Hopper movie would be. You know what I mean? <laughs> just like, let's just show up and make something cool. I don't know. Like, just we have a bunch of like pretty, like a bunch of beautiful, like weird kids that wanted, are like down to just take chances and yeah. explore. Yeah. And we have a lot of really talented, amazing people around us that are super supportive. Let's just make something wild, you know? And I think that was, man, that was, Really terrifying, but sure. Once, once I sort of just like let go a little bit and trusted Sam and trusted everyone else. Yeah, it worked. And yeah, it, I won't say it was easy, and it wasn't. It was definitely very stressful at times, um, because we had like 
you know, HBO to answer to. We had the schedule sure. to answer to. We had like a very finite schedule we needed to abide by. Like it was, it was hard, but, um, I, I give kudos to Sam for really creating like a vibe on set that mm. was mo- like, first of all, creative and exploratory. Sounds like, like he it never was. Sac- he never sacrificed that. You know, he was never worried about schedule. He was never worried about like getting all the shots for a scene. He just wanted to make it good. You mm. know? So a lot of times we would be shooting a scene and we would blunder into shooting it the most complicated way we possibly could in one shot that took eight hours to shoot. And Sam would just do the work and make sure we got the shot. And that, you know, that may mean that we wouldn't have any other coverage for the scene, but at least we got that. So I really like respected him for taking those chances because I think it's. Yeah. You need a director who's willing to do that. I've never done any other TV, but I imagine that's not something TV directors get to do very often. No, no, that sounds like an incredible explorative set and environment. I mean, it takes someone like him because I guess he's in a unique position because he's not only the director, but he's basically the showrunner, um, Mm -hmm. which is, uh, you know, puts him in a um, in a different, you know, it's kind of interesting. This reminds me of the conversation that I had with Stuart because he was saying that Elizabeth Moss was basically this person on Handmaid's Tale and that she was describing as she's like, this is like film school rules. Like we can just like try things. And they're like, if you need to like get a green light from the EP, I'm the EP. So I say, go for it. <laughs> and it's like, that just right. allows this. Um, well, you know, I'm not surprised then that euphoria has that, you know, has had the reaction that it's gotten because it is that, that unique. Um, and, and that out there, the, the one thing that I wanted to speak of specifically for any of the scenes is, you know, the finale and that the, the music video styles, um, more uh, isolated stuff that blends into a huge dance number. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that you, you probably leaned on your, uh, on your music video work in terms of like that kind of concepting. Yeah. I mean, I think the whole show, I leaned into that kind of work. Yeah. (laughs) It was like, you know, the entire show is a lot of like really aggressive camera moves, really extreme lighting, um, and never a dull moment of coverage. You know, there was never, I don't think the entire time we ever did like a shot reverse shot. I can't remember a single scene where we just did shot reverse shot. There was always, you know, always something to this scene. You know, Sam mentioned something early on that stuck with me is that like every scene, and this may have been something that he developed. It may have been something that Mar- he de- developed with Marcel Rev, who shot the pilot in a lot of the other episodes, who's amazing, mm-hmm. kind of set the tone a lot for how the show was shot. And mm-hmm. I, I give him a lot of credit for that. Um, but, uh, you know, there was this, sort of mantra that every scene needed to have a concept. Mm. You couldn't just walk into a scene and shoot it. It needed, there needed to be like a, an idea behind how you shot each scene. Mm. Um, which I think is very much the same approach you have when shooting like a music video or a more stylized commercial is that like, you're never just shooting coverage. You're shooting your, the camera is a voice, you know, and you need to like, you can't ever underestimate the power of the camera. Um, and I think that doesn't always work for every single film or every single type of content. But for this, I think it, it banged for that. Um, and then like there's scenes like the music video that like, to me, the music video, or no, no, sorry, not the music video. To me, the finale is almost like one of the more straightforward scenes in a lot of ways. That's like, interesting. You know what I mean? Cause it's like, she's dancing and she's walking from point A to point B and we're covering it. You know, it's like some of the like simpler scenes, you know, I found that we would often find ourselves shooting the simpler, more conversational scenes in the most complicated way possible. Mm. To me, like the big set pieces were the least terrifying. Like the dancing was not that scary. Like all the club stuff with Jewel in episode seven of Jules and Nate in the club where there's like hundreds of extras and there's crazy strobe lights going. Like to me that I was like almost most comfortable in that world. It was, it was harder to carry the style of the show into these like smaller micro moments in a way. Um, But yeah, yeah, I think, that makes sense. Moments that wouldn't be overly stylized usually, but you still have to bring it. Exactly. It's like, how do you bring style and form to these small, intimate moments without completely overshadowing them? And there's that like balance. And I think yeah. Sam was less, less afraid of that than I was. And I think I come like a more restrained approach and background. Hmm. And he is kind of the opposite. And so there were times where I felt like we were clashing, but really we were just sort of melding to find mm-hmm. something. And, you know, a lot of times... There are moments where Sam just felt so strongly about something and I wasn't sure about it that I would just 
kind of succumbed to his vision, really not knowing how it was going to work out and it would have worked beautifully. And I, you know, that at a certain point I just was like, there are moments where I'm not going to completely understand where you're coming from or what you want to do, but I'm going to execute it and it's just going to work. And <laughs> I think I tried to get the, I, it, it kind of went both ways. There'd be moments where I'm like, Sam, please trust me. Let's just shoot it this way. And we would do it. And he'd be like, okay, you're right. That worked. You know? And it's like, again, it all just boils down to that idea of trust mm. because you're working in a super high stress environment where like Sam is dealing with stuff that I don't know about. And I'm dealing with stuff that Sam doesn't know about, you know, and so we just have to like know that we both have each other's interests in mind and that we're trying to make the same, we're trying to tell the same story, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that seems like a, like a perfect place to, to end it on. Cause it, that does seem in a certain sense, that's like the universal takeaway of euphoria and last black man in terms of that relationship. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just like, the more I work, it's like you, I just look for those people that, have strong vision, but want to develop this relationship of trust where we can push each other and challenge each other and, you know, drive each other crazy. Uh, <laughs> you know, making movies is fucking insane. It's, and if it's, we're not yeah. going crazy while we're making it, we're doing something wrong. Yeah. But like, as long as we respect each other and trust each other and love each other, we're going to make something special. You know, I think that's like what it all boils down to is that like, you need to go crazy making what you make. Otherwise it's not going to be good. Fucking A, man. <laughs> That's a perfect way to send it off. Well, I'm so so glad that we were able to talk again after uh, two years. Cool to catch back up with some awesome Dude, projects. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah it means so, a lot. so um, you. you know, make make some more awesome shit and we'll talk again. Thanks, dude. Appreciate All right. It. Hopefully, we can grab a beer sometime. Yeah, I'd love that. Thank you. <laughs>